0: This summer, got uh, looking at different stories from the Gospel of Luke, and doing a message series called Jesus Among the People. And most of mostly we've been these have been stories of, of how Jesus has interacted with with ordinary people, and who had real issues, real problems. We've looked at a, a leper, we've looked at a harlot, we've looked at people that had other sicknesses, people that were oppressed by the devil, and we've we've seen how how God had how, how, when Jesus interacted with people in their need how he had the answers to, to give them what they needed and to bring healing and transformation and hope to their life and that's been so so encouraging and so refreshing and we're today it's going to be a little different the title of our message is mistakes we make and as I was getting ready for this series this summer the I was reading through Luke in Luke chapter 9 there's there are actually nine different mistakes that Jesus' followers make. And that's actually kind of encouraging to me. Because you think of Jesus' disciples and they're the ones who he called to change the world and you know they did some pretty heroic things. But one of the reasons that I that we that I think is a good evidence that the Bible is real, that no man made religion would show the people in such a bad light. And when we read through the Bible, you look at whether it's Abraham or David or Peter or John or the great heroes of the faith, the Bible doesn't hide their mistakes as well. And that's encouraging to me because I, I'm prone to a whole lot of mistakes. I was thinking about that this week. And I, there are a lot of habits that I tend to make over and over again that are mistakes. I have a really bad habit of calling my kids the wrong name, mixing up their name. you think like I would know them by now. But no, it's, it seems like more often than not, I get the name wrong. I also have a a habit that my family doesn't like, that I'm a big water drinker. I always have a glass of water. I'm always drinking water throughout the day. And, but I also I'm told, I've really kind of in denial that this actually happens, but I'm told that I have the habit of taking someone else's water glass and drinking it. And I, I also tend to use chapstick all the time, and so there's this smeary lip marks wherever I wherever I, you know, make my kill. And so People are always you ruined my glass again, Dad. It's like, no, that was my gla-. Oh, shoot, you're right. That, that wasn't mine. Not only with my family, but it's many, some of you in this room, I've probably done this to you. I know I've done this to some of you. You come over to our house, and I'm a good host. I'm like, here, here's a glass of water for you. And then 10 minutes later, I grab your glass and, and drink it. It's kind of like, wait. I'm looking at Leslie back there. I know that happened with, with her husband, Julian, not, not very long ago. So I, man, we're I am prone to making mistakes, and I know we all have common mistakes. We all have uh, idiosyncrasies, habits. Some of them are, you know, not quite so serious. Like, hopefully the ones I mentioned, I I at least delude myself into thinking they're not that serious. But some of them are, are more serious. And, like I said, the Bible isn't shy about showing us people's mistakes. And that shows us that God can use imperfect people like us. And, but it also, there's another reason why God shows us these mistakes. And I, I, was, I was thinking about a story that my friend Tom Thamer told me a while back. That he, he owns some rental properties, and one of the issues he faces as an owner of rental properties is varmints getting in the houses, or the properties. And so there's this. sometimes squirrels can get in the attics or in the houses. And actually, this is the house where some of you live on Fremont. As you may, you, This isn't new to you, but there's been a squirrel issue this year. And... Tom was telling me. He said, "You know, I couldn't figure out why it was so hard. Like I take the normal steps that I do to get rid of squirrels. I've kind of figured it out. I've had this happen multiple times, and usually I, I do this, I do that, it takes care of it. But at this house, it just didn't work. And finally, I went up in the attic, and last year I had set a trap for a squirrel in the attic, and then forgot about it, and it caught a squirrel." And so all through the winter and all through the year there was this dead squirrel sitting in the trap. Uh, Oh it was on top of the roof. (laughs) Yes. This message is gonna this message is gonna be bad for business. So yes. (laughs) On top of the roof, all right, not in the attic. But he said, so I think what happened is all the other squirrels saw that trap, and they saw their dead buddy sitting there decomposing, <laughs> month after month, and they realized, you never want to go near that trap again. <laughs> and that's really, that's really what, one of the reasons God shows us the mistakes in the Bible, because we're a lot like those squirrels, that there are, there are mistakes, or sin patterns, or habits we fall into, and... But when that opportunity presents itself, it's like the bait in that trap. And our little squirrel nose smells the peanut butter or whatever it is, and it's kind of like, oh, that seems like a good idea. Let's go try this out. And our instincts, we have instincts that make us want to go down this path. But it's a trap. It's a bait that's been set to hurt us or hurt others. And fortunately, we can see the mistakes that others have made, and we can be like those squirrels and go, oh, That's something to avoid. That's something I don't want to experience in my life. And so today we're going to look at a handful of these mistakes that are in this this chapter. It's actually like this whole chapter, a lot of this chapter is like two or three or four verses just telling a little little snippet, a little snapshot of something that happened with Jesus and his disciples or Jesus and other people. And like I said, there were were nine different mistakes that were made in this chapter. And we're going to quickly go through five of those. I'm going to leave the other four for you to figure out on your own. And actually, in our weekly reading this week at the bottom of your bulletin, it, it lays them all out if you want to dig a little deeper. It was kind of hard for me to pull back because I had some great material for those other four. But I thought five would probably be enough for one morning. So, but as we do that, uh, I, want to ask you, I want to ask you to really make sure to see if your heart is positioned. Say, hear from God. And say, God, is there something you have for me? Something you want to show me in my life that is a, a mistake I tend to make, a habit or a trap that I tend to fall for that you want me to see and help deliver me from. And so as we do that, I trust that God will speak probably just one or two of these things that really would be like, oh man, that's for me this morning. God, that you have that for me. Well, I want to pray for us before we go any further, so let's, let's pray. Father, as we look at your word, would you open it up to us? Would you speak? And I thank you that you are your heart is so much of kindness and to bring life to us. And even if we're seeing things that are our own weaknesses or our own problem areas of our life, that the reason you point those out is to set us free and to change us and to bring us more fully into your life and into the purpose you have to use us and for your kingdom. So, Lord, will you help us in that today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, where did my water go? I think this is it. Is that yours? <laughs> I refill it, is that? Okay. It was actually That's the full fine. one. No, see? <laughs> Mistakes we made. Thank you. Mm. All right. Thank you for overlooking my weaknesses. All right. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, verse 43. It says, Well everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. He said to his disciples. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it and they were afraid to ask him about it. This first mistake isn't quite as obvious as the other ones we're going to look at, but it's, it's really, really important and foundational. And so Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, that The pinnacle, the whole point of his ministry on earth was that he was going to go to the cross and be betrayed and be turned on by by his people, by his culture, and give his life as a sacrifice for our sins and then come back to life, be raised again. And hey, this isn't the first time, actually early in this chapter, we're going to look at that later, but Jesus spelled it out in more detail, what was going to happen. And so he's telling his disciples, hey, this is, I'm going to go to the cross. But it says that his disciples were slow to understand what he meant. They, This wasn't really part of what they signed up for. This wasn't in their game plan as they saw it. They wanted Jesus to be the hero, to be the leader who would deliver them from the Romans and bring in God's kingdom and bring the blessings. And they saw the blessings of God's kingdom and healings and life and deliverance and all that he was doing. And they thought, man, let's just, can't this just keep going on and on like this without interruption? But they did not realize that God's mission had to involve the cross. They were slow to comprehend. Cross. And the first mistake is what I'm calling crossless Christianity. Christianity without the cross. There's a a picture here, and every one of these, you got a little picture. This is a picture of a church in China that in recent years that the church in China has had to be underground because of government persecution but in the last several years things have loosened up in many ways and in many parts of China they actually have now have buildings that are church buildings and people have been able to meet publicly in different places and so across the nation there are places where they have made church buildings and even put crosses on those buildings but last year the government of China had a campaign in many parts of the country to tear down the crosses that were on these church buildings. And so we see it. Uh, this is one of those pictures. And actually, it's really interesting. There many of these churches mobilized, and they, 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 they tried to stand in front of the bulldozers and the cranes. The, not the bulldozers, but the cranes. And to prevent that. But they were, there was an, a fight to take the cross. The government was taking the crosses off the church buildings. And the Chinese Christians were, were standing against that. But we often do the very opposite. We're kind of like the disciples, in that we want to have Christianity without the cross. And not so much the part of Jesus died on the cross for us, but the disciples kind of realized that, wait, this whole element of dying and suffering, like, if you're going to go through that, I think instinctively they felt that maybe that affects us too. And that's maybe not just something you do, but something that has implications for our life as well. And the fact of the matter is that, you know, we, we like to have a faith that's, that's all about us. That's, hey, God, what can you do for me? Can you give me my best life now? Can I experience everything you have and peaches and roses and happiness, and, man, that's wonderful. And God gives us so many blessings. But the way of God bringing his purposes into our life is always through the cross. And it's through the cross of Jesus, ultimately, that it's through faith in him, and he had to die for us to be forgiven of our sins. He had to die for us to come into the new life that He has for us. He had to die to be to be resurrected again. And the same is true in everything that God does. That it goes through this process of death and burial and resurrection. But there are things that God has called us to, but before we can experience it, when we come to God, we must die to our old life and then repent of our sins and die of our old, to our old life and then come into the new life that He has for us. And that happens in... Many different areas of our life, and we don't know the sovereignty of God and how He orchestrates that and the timing. You know, many times there are there are dreams that God puts in our hearts. Hey, I want you. I want, God made us for something. And there's a dream He puts in our heart. You're going to accomplish this with your life. But maybe you know maybe your dream is to be a to be a really successful business person, and to use that business for to bless people and to 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 make a difference in the world. But that dream, before it can be fulfilled, it's got to die. Because there's something in our own dreams, in our own self, of our flesh, that it's about us. And we may think, like, oh, this is really about God. But there's part of it that's, you know, it, it's a lot about us. And God takes us through processes of, of death to those things, where it may be very painful and not, not seeing what we want to see, but God takes us through a process of death. But the reason for that is because He wants to resurrect it. And to bring it to a new place where it's not about us anymore, but it's about his kingdom. And actually, as we come to that place, we experience much more life and much more fulfillment than we ever did before we went through that, that process. It's better, the way Jesus, it's better that he died and rose again than if he had never died at all. And that's the way God does everything in our life as well. And so, you know, Peter, when earlier on, when Jesus told told his disciples, this is what I'm going to do, I'm going to be, be betrayed and betrayed. Suffer and die. Peter said, this will never happen. Don't let this happen. Far, far be it from you, Lord. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You don't have your mind set on the things of God but the things of man. And so the same thing has to happen to us. We have to, to turn away from the way we see things and embrace the process that God has for our life. And so the first mistake is, is crossless Christianity. Let's keep reading here. In, in verse 46, this is a great, great, very real uh, thing that happened among the disciples. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Yeah, let's go, Peter and James and John and Andrew and Bartholomew. Here you are. They had just come back. God had sent, Jesus had sent them out and they'd gone out and they'd preached the, about the kingdom of God and they'd healed people. They'd seen miracles happen. And they were feeling pretty good about themselves. And they came back. And... Things, one thing leads to another, and before you know it, they're arguing about which one of them is the greatest. I mean, isn't that kind of funny? Isn't that a whole lot like the way our minds and our hearts work too? They, it so often turns from being about God's mission to, to being about us, or what is about us comes to the surface. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. The disciples wanted to be the greatest. And it's important to realize that the, the problem wasn't that they wanted to be great. Jesus didn't say there was anything wrong with them being great. In fact, he said, hey, if you want to be great... This is the way to greatness. He encouraged them in a desire to live a great life, in his desire to to a life of greatness. The problem wasn't that they wanted to be great. The problem was that they wanted to be the greatest. And the second mistake we make is the mistake of comparison. Where we gauge our life in comparison with some other person. We want to be greater. We want to be the greatest. We want to... We, we so naturally have this... And the picture here is a scoreboard. It's so natural for us to keep score. In so many areas. How wealthy is someone? How popular are they? How well do they do this? How well do they do that? What's their family like? What's their success? We naturally keep score. Especially in America. Everything is a competition. And... The problem is, is that that's not the way God designed it to work. That there's plenty of love to go around. There's plenty of success to go around. God has a life of greatness for every person. But the way we come into that has nothing to do with how we stack up with another person. At another time in this story, Peter, in in the the Bible, Peter was talking to Jesus, and Jesus was telling him what he was going to do, and Peter looked at Jesus and said, well, what about John? What about him? Is he going to have to do that? And Jesus said, hey, don't worry about him. This is what I got for you. I got something different for him. And that is the way to freedom from comparison, is is seeing what God has for us and not worrying at all about anybody else around us. Theodore Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy. Isn't that true? You start comparing yourself with somebody else, and all at once you see, oh, man, I, I, I don't stack up next to them nearly in this area or that area, and immediately your, your joy is gone. In 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul writes, and he says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So the second mistake we make is, is comparison. All right. Might be getting real, starting to get real for some of us in here. Um, well, let's keep on reading. Number three. Luke uh Luke 9 57. Skipping ahead to the end of the chapter. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, this is this is a great this person's seen Jesus and he's ready to follow. This, this, is, this looks like he's got it together. And in verse 58, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Basically, Jesus was saying to him, Hey, you don't really realize the difficulty that's going to be involved in following me. There are going to be some things you're going to have to give up. There's that nice, comfortable bed you got. There are going to be a lot of nights where you're not going to have that. There are going to be nights where we're on the road, where we're just, we're finding a place to sleep in some stranger's house, or along the the roadside, or wherever it is. There's going to be some sacrifice involved. And the third mistake we make is the mistake of comfort. And I love this picture here. I thought, what is the most thing that represents comfort in our culture? And it's the snuggly, I think. And then here's the all-American family on Christmas morning. They all got their snugglies on, and... The cup of hot chocolate and the remote and their Christmas presents and man, this is what life's all about right here. We need comfort. But following Christ involves sometimes not having so much comfort comfort. And in our culture, we probably are the most prone to this this mistake or this this idol of any other culture in history. I was just this week, I was driving, I was going around town and I knew that sometime I needed to stop at the auto parts store. To get, a, to, get a, to get something for one of our vehicles. And the, the store I go to is on the opposite side of town, so I don't like to drive over there too much. It's kind of a little bit of a special trip, so I, I try to wait till I'm going to be over there anyway. But this day, I was coming back into town, so I was driving right by the store. But I was on, instead of, I was on the side of the street where I'd have to turn left across Fort Riley Boulevard instead of just turn right. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to do that this time. I have to, like, drive across traffic and turn left. Maybe I should wait until I can just turn right. And I thought, you know, you are the laziest bum. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Like, how much easier are you waiting for it to get? It's, it's right here. Just make a left-hand turn. But there's, we are so prone, you know. We, we stamp our, hand, our foot while we're waiting for the microwave. It's like, man, we're, we're in such a hurry. Everything's got to be so prepackaged and comfortable that we can easily not realize when, when things get a little difficult, we can not be ready to walk into what God has for us. And so the third mistake is the, the mistake of comfort. Uh, next verse, verse 59. Reading along here. It says, Jesus said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Very reasonable request, right? The guy's dad passed away. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Wow, this is a pretty hardcore. This is one of those scriptures that pastors try to avoid talking about, actually. Because it's, man, wait a second. He's saying his dad died. Jesus called him to follow him. And he said, oh, yeah, I will. But just let me go bury my dad first. And Jesus said, hey, let, let the dead take care of themselves. Now, one thing I think helps... Add light to the story is that in in Jewish culture, when someone died, it wasn't—it was a little more drawn out than it is in in our society. And so, the funeral and the mourning process would be a period of of 30 or 40 days. And so, it's likely that his father hadn't died yesterday, but a month ago or something. And there was there was this process going on of the of the the embalming and the mourning and the grieving. But more than that, I think Jesus was saying, he was picking, he was, he was saying, you know, this, that, is, that's a, that may seem like a very, the right thing to do. But there's something even more important here. And that's following me. And sometimes to follow me, you've got to be willing to do things that don't look right. That seem, like people would say, wow, you are really, are you in a cult or what? Like that is, that's a little out there. The fourth mistake, I'm calling the mistake of propriety. Propriety. You may not even know what that word means. But our picture here is Miss Manners. All right? The master of etiquette. Miss Manners, is she writes books telling you what to do in every social situation, how to do things just so, so that it's the proper way to do things. And propriety is the state or quality of conforming, to conventionally accepted standards of behavior or morals. The state or quality of conforming to conventionally accepted standards of behavior or morals. As in, he always behaved with the utmost propriety. You know, that's, someone dies, your, your, family, your father dies, obviously you are the one who... He's care of all the funeral preparations and all that. But there is a time where there's something more important than propriety. And there are many times, actually, when following Jesus means he's going to upset the apple cart of our lives. Where he's going to call us to do things that are radical. He's going to call us to do things that other people are not going to understand. He's going to call us to do things that people go, Whoa, wait a minute. That's a, little, that's a little hardcore. Are you sure you're not a fanatic? You know, my favorite definition of a fanatic is someone who loves Jesus more than you. And that's kind of what you know, we think. Oh, wait, you're going too far. There's a story in, in the Old Testament where they were bringing the, the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was, was centered on in the Old Testament. And David, the king, was so excited that he took off his outer robe and he was wearing what's called a linen ephod. It was basically like his underwear. And he was dancing in the streets in celebration to God. And his wife said, "What are you doing? That's so I was so embarrassed of what you were doing. You're making a fool of yourself out there before all the people and all the other women are gonna just they're gonna make fun of me. There's my husband out there just showing, exposing himself to everybody." And David said, "Hey, I'm gonna do more disgraceful things than that because." God is worthy of my passion and everything I got. And there, we, that's, if we're missing that in our life, then we're missing out on the sort of life that God's called us to. And so propriety can keep us from what God's called us to. There's, I, I was reading this book. Some of our called to Greatness staff, or all of us, hopefully, are reading this book called Movements to Change the World. It will be soon because it's supposed to be read in the next week or so. By a guy named Steve Addison, about movements throughout history that God has used to to change society, to change the world. And he was talking about this. He said, "In the renewal and expansion of the church, the breakthroughs always occur on the fringe of ecclesiastical power. Ecclesiastical just means having to do with the church. And so, on the fringe of what's going on in the church world, that's where the movements happen. Never at the center." Because what happens in history is God has a movement and people are radical and they go out and they do new things and they, there are new forms of evangelism and new forms of community. And they take the Gospel in, ex, in new cultural expressions and they communicate the Gospel in new ways. But then over time, they, they get older and they get, they get more established and they kind of get set in their ways. And the ways that we become set keep us from being fluid and open to really the thing that God wants to do by His Spirit. And so, the fresh thing that God wants to do always happens on the fringes. It never happens in the establishment. I think that's actually kind of encouraging, is, as messed up as I think our political situation is, and how much of a window to our nation's soul and the confusion, and personally, I just think it's, it's, it's disturbing. Where the, the lack of leadership and the the lack of clarity but what is encouraging to me is there is a groundswell sense that what is establishment is not working what is in place right now is not getting the job done and something dramatic has to change and people are following all sorts of different ideas of what that change needs to be but it's encouraging to me there's a realization that there needs to be some real changes and there need to be real changes in what is going on and so God calls us into that kind of life, not a life of propriety, but a life of being willing to get out there and risk it and make a fool of ourselves and have people misunderstand us. And then the last one we're going to look at here. Verse 61 and 62. We read, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. This one's kind of like the last one, in that, it's, it's interesting, my parents are here today, hi mom and dad, It's interesting timing on all this, but the last two are things that would be offensive to your family, in following Jesus. And, you know, that's all in context, the Bible's very clear, one of the Ten Commandments is, honor your father and mother. And, that's hugely important, but the, but that's not as important as honoring God and loving God with your whole heart. That is the highest thing. And Jesus is saying here, it's, it's similar, you know, hey, you've got to be willing to, again, it's like, man, don't even go back and say goodbye? Like, that seems pretty extreme. But if you look at what Jesus said, he says, no one who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that when God calls us into his service, that is the utmost calling that is worthy of our full attention, our full energy, our full passion. And anything that takes away from that is a distraction. And it's not a, its not a coincidence that he chose one of the best things in our life, which is our relationship with our parents, to say as an example of what could become a distraction. In, in his book, uh, good to Great, Jim Collins. It's a business book um, that some of you have probably read. But at the start of this book, he says, the good is always the enemy of the great. It's good things that keep us from the best things. It's oftentimes not bad things, but it's good things that keep us from, from greatness. And it's, the, the fifth mistake here is the mistake of Distractions. And this is my favorite picture we're going to show this morning. I mean, this guy is pretty distracting. All right, He's at a basketball game and trying to shoot a free throw. And you got this bozo, like, jumping out in front of you. I mean, that's, that's pretty distracting. And that's what life is like, though. I mean, how many of you know that's what life is like? As soon as you're trying to be focused on something, you've got distraction A and distraction B, like, jumping out in front of you and trying to get you going off to that side. And that's, that is, that's the reality. Um, That's the reality. That's my life. Is that anybody else's life? Any of the rest of you have this guy in your life? Yeah. You all look like you can't, like that's not appropriate for church or something. I don't know. But I think it's very appropriate to real life. Um, Again, you know, this man, he could have gone back to his family. He could have said goodbye. Everyone else would have said, you know, that was the right thing to do. Everybody else would have affirmed him in that. But Jesus realized that that would be a distraction from the calling that he had for him. And he was laying that out for us. All right. So what do we do with that? I want to try to bring us home here. And there, you know, I, I trust that we're seeing, man, this is an area of my life. That's an area of my life. I, I'm going to read this scripture in Isaiah 57, verse 17. We're told, Thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. You now, God is really good at showing us our areas where we need him. Because it's in that place that we can come in to the new place that he has for us. And so the question is, how do we deal with our mistakes? How do we deal with the areas of our lives where we fall short? Or where we habitually go down one of those baits that the enemy sets for us? Uh... I want to flip back to just the earlier part of Luke chapter 9, because it really spells this out so well. And Luke, Luke chapter 9, verse 18, it says, Once, when Jesus was praying in private, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say, I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, that one of the prophets of long ago, has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. We see here Jesus drilling down with his disciples the question that's of utmost importance, which is who do you say that I am? And so often our life is fixated on the question of who am I? What am I like? What's my worth? What's my value? What, what's? Who, who am I? But Jesus brought them to the real question, "Is who do you say that I am? And when we face our mistakes and deal with our mistakes, this is the starting point. It's trusting in who Jesus is and what he has done. We've got to trust in who he is and what he, he has done. You know, all of the mistakes that we make stem from a focus on ourself. And we may be focusing on our success, what we're doing well, which leads towards pride a lot of times, where we're not making mistakes, or where we may be focusing on where we're messing up, our mistakes, our failures, our sins, our insecurities. And whether it's what we're doing, whether we're focusing on what we're doing well or where we're messing up, a focus on ourself will keep us in a ditch every time. But it's, when we realize who Jesus is, it deals with our, our pride. Because no matter how successful we are, no matter how mistake-free we are, when we see, oh, he's the Christ. He's Lord of all. He's God. He's the Son of God. Okay. I, I'm not there. I, I fall far short of the glory of God. It's about him. It's not about me. And that's why, as we, that's why it's so refreshing as we together and worship God because it's setting our minds in a a very powerful way on who he is and that's what we need and realizing what he has done for us also deals with our insecurities it also deals with our mistakes because the reason we can become free of our mistakes is not because by golly I'm just going to try harder and overcome those but it's because he went to the cross for our failures he went to the cross for our mistakes he went to the cross for our sins. And it's as we look to him and say, Jesus, I'm not trusting in myself. It's not how good I can do this thing. But it's who you are and it's what you've done. And that's where my focus is. That's how we deal with our mistakes, by going to him, trusting in who he is, trusting in what he's done for us. And that's the, that's the place we got to stand in. And then he goes on in verse, verse 23. It says, Then Jesus said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. The next thing we got to do is trust in who he is and what he's done. And then the next thing we do is deny ourselves, take up our cross, and following him daily. Woo-hoo. Good stuff. But, again, the reason this is the way out of those patterns that we find ourselves in over and over again, sometimes year after year, there's a way out. And that's, first of all, recognizing who he is. And then God has given us a means of growth and transformation. And that's deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. Denying yourself means saying, no, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about fixating on my problems and fixating on what I want. But it's saying, God, what do you want? The cross was the instrument of death. It was saying, okay, I'm am When we take to take up our cross is to say, God, I'm giving up what I want. I'm giving up. Maybe this... in, in, the, in the mistakes that we fall prey to, that bait that smells so good, is so tantalizing. We think, if I just... If I compare myself, that's going to be really a good thing. But we're saying, no, I know it seems like that's going to be good, but I'm going to die to that. I'm going to put that on the cross. I'm going to say I'm going to give that up, and God trust you, and then come into the resurrection to come into the new life that you have for me. And as we do that, God brings us into the fullness of life that he has for us. All right. That's what I got for us this morning. Good. It is good stuff. Um, I want to encourage you as you go home this week to just take whatever area it is, if there's an area God's putting his finger on in your life, and go through that process. Say, God, I trust you in this area. That you're God. You're bigger than this. And you died for this. I'm going to trust this area of my life to you that you can change me. You can help me walk out of that. And... Also, to take that as a conscious choice, as a daily process of saying, God, this is something, it's, it's where I want to go, but Lord, today I'm giving this to you. I'm taking up my cross. I'm denying myself, and I'm going to walk in the path that you have for, for me in this area. So, and also, as, if you have your scripture reading there at the bottom of your bulletin, and those are breaking it up even more. If you want to go through this chapter this week and meditate on these areas and ask God to speak to you, that's a great way to do that this week. All right, I want to pray for us and ask God to help us. So let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you are not intimidated by our failures, no matter how, how odd or how entrenched they may be. Lord, I thank you that they do not define us. Lord, I thank you that our identity is found in you and what you've done for us on the cross. Lord, I thank you also that you change us, you transform us. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would bring a new hope, even into areas of our life where we've never had hope for that before. Whether we've never seen we needed to change, or we've never had hope that we could. We trust you this morning that you would come in And you would bring us fully into what you have for us. God, I thank you for that. And trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.